0: Welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, thanks very much for your company. I have uh, three guests tonight, uh, as we always do really, two of the regulars, uh, Adam and Paul, and also Mike McLean, who you will know from City Square, uh, from TV, from uh, from Panto, well, used to be. Oh, no, it didn't. Oh, yes, it did. Uh, but it isn't Panto oh, at the moment. <laughs> um I'm going to say at the beginning straight away that um, obviously as Blues having uh, had the disappointment last week of the Leicester game and the relative disappointment of the draw at Leeds, having, as we record this on Sunday evening, uh, just heard about because I was out having something to eat the 6-1 victory for Spurs at Old Trafford. I think it's fair to say that that has cheered us up a little as Blues. I have to say, a little bit surprised at City's official Twitter account, also weighed in on it. Um, I thought they may have stayed away from that, but uh, nevertheless, that's what they did. But us fans can enjoy it 100%, so obviously delighted about that. Uh, I want to say, of course, at this stage, a big thank you to Charles Louis uh, Mortgage Advisors, who are the sponsors of this podcast and let me just explain a little bit about them. Um, They advise people on development finance, mortgage advice and they're estate agents as well. Starting out life as a simple mortgage company offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer and moving home mortgages, Charles Louis provides support for the whole property transaction process including an independent estate agent and an expert commercial finance team now if you go to their website charleslouis.co.uk there's a phone number on there they're based in Ramsbottom near Bury Uh, they're run by a guy called Dave who's a big city fan so go on there and tell them that you've heard about them from Forever Blue podcast they'll be delighted I'm sure to hear that and they will give you whatever advice they can I'll mention their website again a little later on but uh, as this is a Manchester City podcast a weekly podcast Let's get straight into it. Um, Leeds was, of course, the most recent performance by City. Let's start by our special guest tonight, Mike. Um, what did you make of the performance at Ellen Road then?
1: I didn't think it was the best. Um, I thought Diaz coming in played outstanding. I thought he was good. Uh, I thought Edison was fantastic. Sterling's decision-making is, is there to be questioned, isn't it? I mean, we could have gone away with three points had he just put that ball in the back of the net. If I'm really honest, Ian, there's something just not clicking at City and I don't know what it is. You know, I know we're without two strikers, but even, you know, um, when we had Jesus play, there's just just something not. I don't know whether, you know, I read a lot about Pep. I've read a a lot of books about Pep and he does burn out after. He always stays about three years, doesn't he? And is he burning out? Is he coming to the end? You know, Arteta gone. Was that a big thing for us? You know, all these in the mix, just something's just not clicking. We're missing leaders, definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. We're missing we're missing a vinny. That's what we're missing.
2: I
0: think the Pep story is is really one that can won't go away until he signs a new contract. I mean, obviously we know he lost his mum. Which was which must have been terrible for him, particularly in the circumstances we're in at the moment, with uh, travel not being so easy. Um, I mean, I know it might be a little bit easier for somebody like him. Maybe there's a private jet. Maybe because the, the he's involved in the football bubble, there are exceptions. But it can't be easy for him as a coach to be based in Manchester, so far away from his family in these situations. Um, obviously, with the whole messy thing about him potentially coming in the summer, which I do believe was a genuine thing that he could have come, had it not been for the, the expense of that, I think he would have arrived, and I think he would have arrived because of his relationship with Pep. And at one stage, I was under the impression, from what I'd heard, that Pep had extended his contract... But now we're not hearing anything about that. And maybe that's yeah, because yeah. the Messi deal collapsed. So do you think that, you know, is your vibe that something's not right behind the scenes because of that uncertainty around Pep?
1: Yeah, I just think when you look at Pep in the press interviews, you know, the conferences, things like that, he's just not got that sparkle about him that he had a couple of years ago, you know. And I think that may rub off on, on the players because, you know, but having said that, they've just spent 65 million on a cracking player. So would they have spent that money knowing that he's gone? And the other thing that I always, always intrigues me is where's Pochettino? You don't hear much about him, do you? Now, where is he? Because let's face it, if I was the chairman of United, I would have signed him a long, long time ago. So where is he? What's he doing? And is he under contract? Is, is it a case of, look, just on fire, there's a big job at the, for you at City. I'll be honest with you, I, I, I have no problems about him coming to City. I, thought he's, I think he's a great manager. But yeah, him being quiet and you don't see him, do you? You know what I mean?
0: So who knows? It's funny you should mention that because uh, mm-hmm. just before lockdown happened, the big story I was hearing behind the scenes was that Pochettino was going to replace Pep this summer, just gone. Uh, now, clearly that hasn't happened. But we're in unprecedented times, so maybe that is why it hasn't happened, yeah. or maybe the messy thing complicated it when the possibility of him coming came came up as a you know yeah. as, as a thing.
1: Yeah, well, could have, you know, he's it, it, on gardening leave, as they say, you know. So I think he'd be suited for us. But I think he'd be a, if he came to City. I, I think he'd be absolutely brilliant, a, a great replacement for Pep. And I know for a fact, like you say, he does genuine Pep. When you read the book, I think it was the the red one where the he had the reporter had he could when he was at Bayern, you know, he stayed with him for a whole season, and he does burn out. He does burn out, and he demands a lot from his players, and to demand that for three years, constant four years, you know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot on those players.
0: He did it though, didn't he?
1: He did, he did, uh, he did, and he ruled with an iron rod, didn't he? So you know, and he, and he did really well with that. I, mean, I, I, I mean, look, I, I'd love Pep to stay. I'd love Pep to stay. I really, really would. Um, uh, whether he does or not, we'll just have to wait and see.
0: What do you two think of the of the performance against Leeds? Obviously, there was the the midweek victory against Burnley as well, which in theory was the bounce back game after Leicester. And it wasn't a dramatically different team. It was a slightly different team. Uh, Do you want to start, Paul, and just tell us what you you thought of those? I I don't know, did you even watch the game midweek or did you see any Um, of it in the end? Yeah, I kind of
2: watched the the midweek one. It wasn't, um, I didn't have much interest in it, if I'm being honest. It was kind of, you know, like when Coronation Street's on and you're having your tea and you're kind of just looking up the telly every now and then. So um, it was kind of, I was kind of watching it with that, to be honest. I thought we did all right. <clears throat> um, like Mike said, there's definitely something missing. There's some, you know, there's some little spark that's not quite right. You know, bear in mind we've we've got the COVID. It's strange times. VAR's not helping. Um, you know, signings haven't been made that we thought were going to be made. So it's unusual times, and it's unusual for everybody as well. So, you know, I don't I don't think we should read too much into early doors yet. But I'll. All I can say is that I was um, I was reading some on some um, in the know site that um, Pochettino is very keen on signing Diaz. So whether it's like we did with uh, with Pep, where he's buying the players behind the scenes early on, I don't know. I don't know, but we can throw that one into the mix, can't we? Um, Yesterday against Leeds, um, I thought we were all right. To be honest, I mean, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to play. Play leads and get a spanking, um, you know. It was let's have it right. It was a great game of football from a neutral part of view. Um, from a city part of view, it was like being back at Main Road and you know the good old days with Kevin Keegan. Now uh, you know we were both at each other and you know from one end to another. If if we'd have had <coughs> a recognised striker out there, um, we, we we we'd have could have been six one or it could have been six all if it weren't for Edison. So you know it's. It was an odd day. It was an odd day to be honest. But I enjoyed the game. I didn't have to pay for it. It was entertaining. So that's football, isn't it?
0: Edison's an interesting one because he made two superb saves, no doubt about it. One low (coughs) down with his hand, one in the top corner. But he also made a howler, let's face it, for, for the goal that they scored. And if a goalkeeper makes one mistake in a game... And you end up, I mean, obviously, if you win 5-1, it doesn't matter. But if it's a tight game, that can be the difference between the two teams. So, um, he's an interesting player to, to study. What did you make of it all, Adam?
3: I think in terms of Edison, I think he, you know, he, he made some brilliant saves. It meant that we actually didn't lose the game in the end. But obviously, that one cost us. But you think about the goals we could have scored. You look at Everton, Pickford made a mistake um, yesterday, conceded a goal from it but they had enough firepower up top to make sure they won the game. So, you know, I don't tend to blame Edison for the fact we didn't get three points yesterday. I think we've sort of had a perfect storm in terms of how to fail the start of a season. You know, we've only just come off the back of last season. A couple of weeks ago, it seems like we were in the Champions League still. We've had three COVID cases, injuries coming out of our ears as well. It's just not been a great start. And obviously we've had so many eggs in the messy basket. We seem to may have taken our eye off the transfer dealings elsewhere. And we've not got our business done early enough like I'd like to, us to have done. So I think we've just really come into the start of the season unprepared. I was hoping we'd grind out results. We've just not been able to do that. And I think that's probably partly because we haven't got enough uh, firepower to to allow us to get past those mistakes that we're going to uh, concede at the back. And and also, yeah, just, just because, of the, because of those injuries and, and, and the fitness, I just think, We really need to grow into the season. I think it's difficult to really damn the whole season and say it's all over right now because we're clearly going to be better than this in a few weeks. But if we were to continue like we are, then we're going to be nowhere near keeping up with Liverpool, who I've heard are losing even though. But they'd still be brilliant this season. So, yeah, we look far off the pace and we need to improve, don't we?
0: Obviously, the the defeat by Leicester was was a real shocker. But then when you see today, I didn't watch the game, but when Leicester lose at home 3-0 to West Ham... What do you read into that? I mean, I asked the question on Twitter before, and I've had a variety of answers which go, well, I'll I'll read a couple out, that's probably the best thing to do. But it was certainly a a result that surprised me. But there's a variety of different people. There's either the positive people or the negative people. So here's a sample of what people have said. Michael Loftus says uh, it looked like a 100% role reversal of the City match. West Ham defended in numbers, broke quickly. Quite a few Leicester players looked very Tired and outpaced by the referee at times. Um, another one from Michael Kay basically, West Ham did to Leicester what Leicester did to us a week ago. Nick Robin, uh, Nick, Nick Johnson, sorry, said they had to come out of their box, simple as that. But uh, Nomsky on Twitter, uh, we will make anybody look good at the moment. So Obviously, there's a certain amount of saying it was because Leicester went behind the, the ball and just broke away, which City seemed to be vulnerable to. Arsenal did that in the FA Cup semi-final, didn't they? Um, you could argue, our United did that in a couple of derbies last year. But if we know that they're going to do that, you have to be able to deal with it. Um, and obviously, the fact that some teams take a game against City as their biggest game of the season or their cup final. But when United were winning league after league for years, when Liverpool were winning league after league, they had to deal with that. So do you do you, does the fact that Leicester lost three nil in the next game make you think, hang on a minute, then maybe it's just us that's bad? Or do you just think, no, that's just that's just one of them things. Adam, you look as if you've burst into coming on this one.
3: Yeah. So I, I am completely indoctrinated into the Pep Guardiola philosophy that says if we are good enough at the way that we play, we will beat anyone. Frankly, at the minute, we're not good enough at what we do best. You know, you're seeing in seventeen, eighteen, and the season after how good we were at what we did. We were the best at it. Now, we're not quite good enough at what we do. Teams like Burnley, they're great at what they do and they win points like by doing that. We, I don't want us to turn into... A pragmatic side who want to, wants to change all the time to try and get results. I like the way that we play and we keep our system the way it is. We change too much in the Champions League and that's what knocked us out. You know, you need to have your, I believe that you need to have your philosophy and stick to it and make sure that you improve. If we were to decide to change now and change things, then we're not going to be as good at the stuff that we've been good at over the past couple of years. So I think, yeah, other teams might beat other teams, that we've lost against by using a different tactical approach, that doesn't mean that we should change, it just means that we should become better at what we do.
0: My wife says we change the team, pet changes the team too much. Just that, you know, why, why does it keep, you know, you play one game midweek, the team's know there are mitigating circumstances at the moment with players having COVID and injuries and whatnot. So maybe now's an unfair time to really nail that subject down. But still... You know, and you can never actually predict what City's strongest eleven is. No matter what eleven you pick, and you sort of think, ah, right, this is the big one, we've got to win this one. Mm. I think he'll go with him because he's the best right-back, he's the best left-back, he's the best striker. And then you look at his Pep's team and you think, and I always go, Pep's a genius. He'll know what he's doing, and most of the time he's got it right. But you do look at his team selection sometimes and you think, what? Where's that come from? And there are a lot of changes. I think,
2: I think I Mendy. Know. Go on. No, sorry. No,
0: think
2: go, go on. Go on. Nope. I was going to say. I, I think was,
1: Mendy. 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 Mendy is. Um, uh, teams are sorting out Mendy, aren't they? And he seems to be the weak link. And if you noticed yesterday in Leicester, everything was just get it on the side of Mendy, get it on the side of Mendy, because he's he he gets caught out of position so many times. So many times, and he leaves us open so many times, and I think he's he's a very he's he's a worry for me, a massive worry.
0: Well, uh, Did Vardy said that they were targeting targeting Rodri, to Leicester? We mentioned this in the podcast last week. So there obviously are things that the other teams identify about City that make them vulnerable, and I would have thought the way we overwhelm other teams most of the time. They, they can't do that. But at the moment,
2: that's that's where we seem to be. I think Leicester, to be honest, I think Leicester were targeting falling over in the box and just waiting to be touched. I don't I don't actually think targeted Rodri. I, I, I saw the comment he made, but I don't actually think... I didn't see that. I didn't see that in the performance. I mean, the, the thing I would say about the defence is that I'm all for Pep changing the attack in the midfield. You've got to keep the spine of the defence... Yeah. You've got to keep you, whether he's playing a, you know, a back four or a back three or whatever. You've got to keep that. You've got to keep them them little units together. Uh, midfield, I think you can change about to some extent, um, but you're spining a your team. You've got to keep that week in week out.
1: It's also hard. Don't forget, you've got a back four that communication to any good team. It, 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 that's the key. I tell my when I'm playing talk, communicate. You've got a lot of different languages there, so you know, it's, it's not like. Twenty years ago, with back four we're all English and maybe what you know what I mean. So how do they? I'd love to know how they communicate, like man on and on what language they saying? They say in English, say in Spanish, say in French. You know, but I think you're right. I, believe, I do I, believe this. Yeah, I think for you look back at United, it was always Pallister, Bruce, Irwin, and I, I can't remember the other one. But they were solid. They're back four. You know, and you, you, when we won, it was always like it was Zaba, wasn't it? It was Vinny. It was Lescott, Scott. You know, and 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 I think with Mika Richards, and and that was the back four. And I think you're absolutely right. You've got he's got to keep that. He's he doesn't know if you said to Pet, what's your best back four? I don't think he'd know what his best back four were. No, I Definitely think he's
0: not,
2: not his, best left, he know his best
0: left back, does he? Well, obviously what? the left back has got to come into this discussion. We did it last week. There was a lot of stick for Mendy. Um, is getting a lot of stick again now and there is what as we record this and by the time you listen to this uh, the window may well have closed but the at the moment the transfer window is still open it, it closes on, on Monday um, should City be out there buying the left back and if they are is there a danger that they could panic by? I mean, they've been linked with a guy that United are after at the moment from Porto. They've been linked with the Dutch, with the Ajax left back. They've been linked with two or three of them now. And and it's just starting to feel as if there's a little bit of a panic. And I don't understand why it's taken so long to get to this point when it feels to me as if Benjamin Mendy is not the player either that he was, or in my opinion, not the player that... He could have been, but I never, I never expected him to be as good as Cancelo. Is
1: it Cancelo played at left back? And I thought he did actually, all right. I actually liked him on the left back. He he cut in beautifully. He got back. You know, the thing I found disappointing yesterday was that when I watched the game. Was like the people like Mares just jogging back and not getting back quick enough mm-hmm. to help out the. You know, he just sort of casually strolled and and it, 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 he's just he's another one for me that just hasn't set City on fire at all when he was at Leicester I thought oh what a player and when we got him I thought brilliant but no he's just he's just not done it yet he's just
2: not done it at all I think he's one of those luxury players isn't he if, if everything's going great you can have him in your side but um, you know when Bernardo came on yesterday he yeah. looked like the old Bernardo and, and he was grafting he was winning balls back yeah. he was tracking back he was being a nuisance and that's what we've missed we've missed yeah.
1: that totally agree Paul
3: the left-back situation has just been a disgrace for me. How many years have we needed a proper left-back? You know, Mendy got injured, was it November 2017? And we give him a bit of... Obviously, you need to give him some patience and some time. Dell filled in the gap, was really good. He's a stop gap for a season. Sinchenko then did it, and we got away with it again. And then last season, we just wasn't good enough anyway. So we knew that we needed a left-back. The first thing we should have done in this transfer window is bring in a left-back. And well, that was I now, now I think, you know, we need to get more in the last minute. And quite, to be honest, I'd be happy bringing in anyone. I'd buy Paul at the minute. I'd put anyone at left back. Let's not go that off. far.
1: Let's not go no, that I'm far. He probably... Paul I... would do it, but he's in a bath too much often.
3: <laughs>
2: bath. I'm more of a goalkeeper.
1: <laughs> Height, you can tell. You can tell. Yeah.
2: Me and you, Mike, with a big coat on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What about a striker I mean obviously uh, the fear oh. was that if Aguero got injured uh, and Jesus got injured at the same time that we'd be in trouble and unfortunately that's exactly what's happened Ian I've said it right from the beginning I love Jesus it, his
1: work rate you can't fault him but he is not a Premier League striker he gets knocked off the ball far too easily and this league is it's a kick it it's a tough league. It's, it's not a Spanish league. It's not a French league where you get time. This is it. I, I heard a story. And and, and um, when um, when Pep came over to, to City, I think he, he phoned the manager of um, Crystal Palace. Was it Who was the Dutch guy that was in charge of Crystal Palace before? Um, uh, um,
0: I can see him. He's got yeah. a twin brother, blonde hair.
1: Uh, anyway, he phoned him and he said, what is it like? And he said, I'm going to be honest with you, the referees in England. Who was it? Cumin, yeah. Well, he ran Cumin and said, "What is it? he said?" Pep, I'll be honest with you, the referees give nothing, absolutely nothing here, and it's one of the most physical leagues. And Mark Bright told me this story, and he was absolutely spot on. And Mark Bright told me another story, which is when when they played Palace, apparently Pep absolutely loved. He raved about Zaha absolutely. So what did Palace do? They gave him an extended four year contract, and he's the sort of player you. I'd have very. And I've said this, and I've tweeted this before, and see if I'd have Harry Kane tomorrow.
3: All day. All yeah. day long. Agreed.
2: Can, can I just say, Mike, that there's only Ian allowed to names drop? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. This sorry,
1: sorry, I, know sorry new, I,
2: know, I know you're new to it, Mike, but uh, only Ian can, and we get a little bell ring when he does it. Apologies.
0: I, I can only apologise. <laughs> I mean, obviously, uh, uh, you know, there the, the, the are lots of players at the moment under a lot of, of scrutiny. I mean, I've got a, 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 when I said that you were on tonight, that Michael. Is. So we were recording a new podcast. Michael Thompson tweeted me back and asked this question. This is a, a question. Should a fan? And this is, I suppose, any criticism that people might have listening to this is saying, "Oh, you're a bit negative here because you know we we did win on the opening day of the season at Wolves, a team who traditionally we struggled against. Uh, we've only lost one." We drew against a Leeds team we will give some teams a battering this season. Why is everybody so down? City are a great team, we'll come back. So that's that sort of one brand of fan. And they will say, you weren't there when we were rubbish, you, you know, you know, you're a new set of fans and all the rest of it. Uh, obviously, speaking personally, and I know I'm speaking for the two older members of this panel and in spirit with Adam as well, that... We'd be there if if City were, and I was there when we were in the third tier of English football. Yeah. So I'm I'm not no glory hunter. I'm not I'm not ex. I don't expect City to win anything, or you know I'm not pulling me hair out. Well, can't kind can of you know if if we don't win a title or something. But because of the new expectation level now, everybody does analyze the game in a different way. And Michael says, should a fan have total blind faith, or is a fan allowed to question things when they believe things are not going in the right direction, or is this just a product of social media? is the club's hierarchy unquestionable in twenty twenty no matter what? well surely the answer to that is no
2: I, mean, be I, to I, I I've spent pretty much a today um i I saw that tweet and I've spent a lot of today kind of. And last night on social media, looking at looking at things and looking how people are behaving and reacting to stuff. And these these kind of these kind of two camps at the moment. These those camps that sort of like, you know, pets untouchable, you can't say anything about Foden. I mean, I've had a right going at because I basically said I didn't know Foden was playing yesterday, and people calling it a cheap shot and stuff like that. And to be honest with you, it was a nice way of putting it. I could have been really rude about what Foden was. I like the player; he's a City player, and never, I never diss players unless I've, I, I need to criticise constructively. And these, these, these two camps—you've got your camp who you can't, you can't, you can't have a go at, an um, early swore then. You can't have a go at uh, the hierarchy. You can't have a go at the players. Certain players you can have a go at. Certain players you can't. There, there's a lot of happy clapping going on. I'm realistic. Um, you know I've been a city fan I'm 51 I've been a city fan all my life. Um, I've seen all the rubbish. my expectations are obviously much higher than they used to be but at the end of the day, let's let's analyze what it is. It's a game of football yeah We either play it as a sport for enjoyment or we pay or we go and watch it as entertainment. And as long as you're being entertained in one way or another, you might, you might not, you know, we're not gonna win everything. No team can win everything. Barcelona gets beat. United, when they when when United were in their pomp, obviously, nowhere near it at the moment, but when they were in the pomp, their fans expected to win everything. They were cocky and arrogant with it. We hated it. We hated that. We hated what they were. We need to have a roll forward a few years now. We need to look at what we've turned into because there's a lot of fans turning into that. A lot of fans expect us to win every single game. All I expect is the players to put a shift in. And that's always, i always, always expected that. If you put a shift in and leave it on the pitch, I'm happy. You know, if we turn up and can't be bothered, like looked in the second half, you know, when we played yesterday, that's when I'll come out and you know, pick out and, and criticise. But I won't criticise unless I can back it up with stats, not just turn around and go, oh, Mendy was rubbish, or, you know, blah, blah, blah was rubbish. I'll say he was rubbish because he didn't do this or he didn't do that. Most other fans don't really. They, they say, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, we, you know, City's great. And then the week after, the rubbish. You can make your mind up.
1: They're just a bit inconsistent, aren't we?
2: Yeah.
0: Mike and I, we both worked for the club at various times. Uh, Obviously, you were in City Square and last season and the season before I was doing the official Manchester City uh, vlog. Neither of us at the moment have a connection officially to City in any way. Isn't it a bit of a coincidence, Ian, that
1: since you and I have left,
0: the performance (laughs) of City, I'm not saying anything, but it's a bit coincidental, isn't it? Just it, certainly, right. it certainly is. But well, certainly from, from my point of view as a long-time fan, and I know this will be the same with you, Mike, Um, I don't criticise for the sake of it when I do criticise and when I praise, I praise because it's what I actually think, so two weeks ago on the podcast we had Harlan saying how great he thought City's uh, playlist was, you you won't have heard this I don't suppose but uh, any regular listener to the podcast will have heard Harlan saying how he he loves this musical playlist that the club puts out that he can then play at home to get him in the mood for the game and all the rest of it, so we gave lots of credit to the club for that Uh, this week I've said they shouldn't, I don't think they should have tweeted out the, the no, tweet about true. Tottenham, but you, you, you're you just making observations because it's like in your family, you know, if, if you if you don't agree with something, if you do like something, if you don't, you, you, you say it, but you say it as a friend, as, as part of the family, not as a sniper or a, and certainly I, I, I've never gone along with the clickbait or sensationalism in anything that I do, but I do try to be honest and fair. Isn't that what you do, Mike? Yeah, I think
1: Paul was right though. The expectations are. Listen, if we didn't have an opinion, we wouldn't be all here tonight discussing Man City, and that's all Twitter and social media is an opinion. Some people get carried away with it, and go, oh, they you don't know—it's just opinions. It's just I put a tweet out the other week about Liverpool. Isn't it funny that no Liverpool players ever get injured? God, did they bite? But it was just an opinion. It was just, you know, it's, and that's what it is. We've just all got an opinion. And I think a little bit of frustration set in as well because of the Leeds result. We were just like, oh, come on. Especially after Wolves. After Wolves, I thought, hello, here we go. We're on. We're back on, you know. And I thought, a great performance. I thought Stones was outstanding. I thought Aki played well. And all, I thought, great. Then suddenly, Leicester, i thinking, oh, here we go. Then Leeds, forget about the Coca-Cola Cup or whatever it's called now. Then Leeds, I thought, oh, here we go. So our expectations, like Paul said, they are high. We've got the best manager in the world. We've got some of the best players in the world. And we go to Leeds. No disrespect to Leeds whatsoever. But I personally think we should have gone there and we should have come away with three points. Without, with or without a strike, we've got enough in the tank there to put three, four goals past. For the first 20 minutes, we, Leeds couldn't even touch us. You know, it, it was unbelievable. And it's just the second half when we come back. We seem to let teams back into the game. And I don't know what that is. And that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out. Why do we suddenly let teams back into the game? And suddenly, as soon as we let teams back into the game, that was it then. It just opened up the whole game. We didn't, I think after, I think we went in at half time. We were, we were controlling the game, completely controlling the game. So why is it we can control it in the first half, yet in the second half, we let teams back in?
0: While we're swarming all over the opposition, then we're completely in control. It's when you take the foot off the pedal a little bit that Gary Neville, in his commentary, obviously I never used to hear the TV commentaries, but these days I've no choice. Gary Neville says the defending was like under nines at the back. Um, And and that's how it felt to me as well when the ball's lobbed over the top. There doesn't seem to be on any, any organization and I love Pep as much as anybody I want Pep to stay forever I just think he's he's, he's such a, a good human being apart from being a great coach as well but he doesn't seem to coach defending at all no. does he
1: he's a mid if you read his book he said he just have a team full of midfielders you know and that's what you know but you look at Mancino when he was there he was all about the
2: defense but don't you think we have got a team of midfielders um, have, yeah, completely we've got a t- We have got a team of midfielders Because he wants Pep style He wants he wants ball playing Positions everywhere The goalkeeper Can play midfield You know All the defenders First and foremost For a defender in a Pep team You've got to be a passer ball If you can defend It's a bonus And I think yeah. that's why We've been struggling With a left back You know I think Gail Clichy Was a prop- the last proper left back We've ever had
1: Yeah, totally Totally agree and I think it's like Adam said, we sh- why we've taken so long and, and not gone into the transfer market and bought two left backs, you know, two good, genuine left backs. And is it Chilwell that went to uh, Chelsea? I'd yeah. just bought him. I'd have bought him.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm confused why we didn't go out and buy Chilwell because he, he played really well yesterday. <laughs> he, was, yeah. he was quality, wasn't he? I was thinking, oh my God, how haven't we bought him? And so, yeah, it's a failure in terms of transfer strategy, but in terms of expectations, I think we've got every right to have that really high expectation now. I didn't really understand it, obviously. United being so good, and they always expected to win everything. But now, I am going into every game. I'd, I'd be, I'd be dishonest to say I don't go into every game thinking, "I think we, I think we'll win this. I think we'll win this," because we, we spent so much money on these players. These are top quality players. In some cases, they are so far ahead in terms of ability than every other player in the opposition that we should, on paper, be winning that game. So it's difficult because you don't want to seem arrogant and you don't want to seem like, you know, like the Man United. But eventually, you know, those expectations are deserved. We spend a lot of money as well going to watch the club. Um, they put the prices up because we're so good. So we've got a right to demand that sort of, uh, that sort of quality. And when they fall below par in energy... Like Paul was saying, that's when it really gets to me. I think there's a way you criticise that that needs to be corrected on social media, of course. So Mendy's took a lot of stick in the wrong way. He's been getting a lot of abuse and stuff, and I think that's not right. It's okay to criticise a performance, when you're giving people dogs abuse, that's just not on. So I think, yeah, we're right to criticise, but there's a way to be doing it.
0: Where does City go from here now? I mean, obviously, we're into an international break. There's there's two weeks of, of no football. Is that come at the right time? Has that come at the wrong time? I mean, the trouble is we're having this discussion on, on Sunday evening when there's still pretty much 24 hours to go until the window closes. So if the left back comes in tomorrow, we're hearing Cavani now might be going to United, and some City fans have been talking about he would be an excellent signing. He's a free transfer. I, I think after today, open. and I
1: think he's after today, and I don't think he's going to United. I think he's playing. <laughs> He'd be onto the pilot going. Listen. Take me back, take me back. There's no way. Listen, <laughs> United are just putting plasters over big holes, aren't they? They're just buying these players, and that's not going to fix United. It's never going to fix United. I think the breaks come at a good time. I think another—is it a week or two weeks? The break—is it a week? Two weeks till we play Arsenal. Two weeks, so there's two weeks to get Aguero ready and Asu's ready. So you know, uh, that's it has come at a good time. Yeah, I'm just I'm gutted at Aguero. I from what I. I got told he was ready to come back, so I don't know what's happened. But He's a massive miss, isn't he? Aguero is a massive miss. Just like in the old days, Gota was a massive miss, you know? A dick off would have been a miss. He is a massive miss. My thing that I really worry about is, who do they get to replace him? Because there's never been a striker like him. He's just phenomenal.
0: But a Pep team shouldn't rely on that, should he? I mean, one of the things we talked about last week was the the dependence now on KDB. So when we're 1-1 against Leeds and they've had a couple of chances and it's the second half of the game, I'm looking to think, who's going to get us out of this? Who's going to get us the winner? And every time it was Kevin De Bruyne who was driving through midfield, Kevin De Bruyne who was having a shot, Kevin De Bruyne who was trying to get to the byline or set somebody free. It seemed like everything was coming through him and we never used to be like that. And now you're talking about Um, Aguero quite understandably and quite rightly being a genius of a striker who can score a goal for you in the tightest of games and the number of times I've been in an away end in recent years when we haven't necessarily been playing brilliantly and then Aguero's just produced something that takes your breath away um, and you end up winning the game. So I know how vital he is, but have we be, have we now become too dependent on, on De Bruyne and Aguero rather than the team? Is the team not what the problem is? For Sterling,
1: just I, I don't know what it is, but for Sterling, for me, as soon as he gets near that six-yard box, his brain switches off. You know, he, he just switches. He, the decisions he makes, at this level, at his ability, he should have had them in yesterday. He should have had that in yesterday. Instead of messing about and trying to... He just like, it's it. I'm not a footballer, but just get the ball. Don't go in the back of the net. He's got the ability. But no, he wants to take somebody on and do a little turn. And it's like, oh, whether it's that haircut he's had done, I do not know. I think
2: I think I think Sterling, that's the problem. If he hasn't got time to think, he's brilliant. As yeah. soon as he's... I mean, I mean, how many one-on-ones with a keeper do you see him missing? Oh. He's two or three in a game sometimes. Yeah. You know, he's so if fast. he's got no time to think, he's brilliant. Mm. Yeah.
0: Are you were confident? You... That... Go on, Adam.
3: Just think, yeah, so yeah, that chance he should be scoring, but we, we, create, we should be creating a lot more chances, I feel, than we did yesterday. I didn't feel like we were creating loads of chances to score goals. Last season, the season before, even the season we won the titles and we should have been scoring so much, so many more goals in the game than we have been doing. You know, you think about the expected goals and all that stuff that I don't pay too much attention to. But I think that we just don't score enough goals for the chances we create. But now we're actually not even creating those chances. So even though we were going to score two with six or seven chances, we're now only getting three or four chances a game. So we're going to struggle. We're just not creating enough, I don't think, at the minute. You know, talk about going defensively, not being strong enough. Really going forward, we're not either at the minute. We're just faltered at every level. Is we Sane? Creating... Do
1: you do you think Sane Ian, is a is a loss? I do. I really think losing Sane
0: yeah. was
1: was a big loss.
0: I think Sane was a touch of class, and um, you know, losing company, losing David Silver, losing Yaya taking Fernandinho only came on briefly yesterday. I still think he is an exceptional player. He should be playing, and Sane was a touch of quality, yeah. and yeah. gave us something very di- different, he gave us tremendous pace, um, and, and quite a brave player too, uh, and that, that might not be the first thing that jumps out to you from Sane, but he was willing to run at players, that's what I mean, he was re- willing to get involved in things, and, and you saw it at Anfield, and against against the big, big teams, he mm-hmm. was prepared to do something special, so I do think Sane's a big loss, Torres is obviously the player they're expecting to um, you know, be not the new Leroy Sane, but, but to replace him. And, and he seems to prefer to play on the right. But the trouble is, if you play Mares or you play Bernardo and you and Pep wants them both to, to cut in, which, of course, you have the advantage of with Sterling, when he cuts in from the left, he scores that goal against Leeds United. But I still personally think, and I've seen other people suggest, that that still Raheem should be on the right, And I think City's best front three was Raheem Sterling on the right, Sane on the left and Aguero down the middle. And I don't think we're anywhere near that standard at the moment.
1: But if you watched Fernand Torres when he played for Spain not so long ago, he did play on the left. I think it was the second half and he did cut in. So he can do it. And I think he's a player that if you just give a little bit of time to, um, he is quality. I've watched him in Spain. a few. He is good. But hey, let's not forget about our new centre-half. I thought, it, what he had, i I'd read that he'd had an extra training session to get adjusted, and and yesterday he came in, and I thought hat off to you, he played absolutely blinding. He he's not he's not a rush of blood. He's you know he's easy on the ball, comfortable on the ball, and I think once he gets that partnership with Laporte, it'll be really really good.
2: Well, what I liked is he was he wasn't scared to just clear his lines either. Mm-hmm. I think you know sometimes he he's all right playing it out from the back, but sometimes you just need to stick an oof on it. Get it up the field, clear your lines, gather your thoughts, and go again. And he did that a couple of times yesterday.
3: Yeah, I, I think he. I think he could be a real. He could be a leader as well. I saw a few videos of him, even though it wasn't in our language. What the, the way that he was talking to the, the lads in the dressing room at, at Benfica looked really promising. I really want to see a leader in our squad again. I'm hoping that he could be that man. Apparently, he was ordering players round yesterday. I didn't. I didn't see it myself, but. I saw on Twitter, you know, he's, he's shouting at lads, telling them where to be on the pitch. He's only been there for three days. So, you know, that's only a positive. And we could really do with someone like that, uh, alongside Laporte and alongside our, our left-backs who clearly have no idea what's going on. So it'd be nice to have, uh, so yeah, some some leadership at the back again. How do the
0: three of you feel about the Champions League draw? Well,
3: the yes. <laughs> same
2: it's yeah. a shame we're actually going to be there because I could really top up my tan in some of them places.
0: Yeah, three great places. Porto is a fantastic place. I think it's my favourite ever European away, Dave, I'm being honest. It's a beautiful city. Um, never been to Marseille. Athens would have been a lovely place to go to watch them against Olympiacos. Um, so, yeah, as, as fans, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who will feel the same, and, and obviously the home games as well for everybody to go to, not, not just the away uh, games. But once the Champions League starts, um, I had a little look at the fixtures today, um, unlike previous seasons where you've sort of, played a game, and then the following midweek it's been the League Cup, then another game, then an international break before you then play the next European game, they're actually going to come in successive midweeks, so there's going to be a lot of big Champions League games in between big Premier League games, and with us at the moment being having a problem with strikers particularly, I mean I know we're all hoping Aguero's going to be back, but The word seems to be it's going to be another month for Aguero, whereas with Gabriel Jesus, it could be that he's fit for the Arsenal game. So hopefully he's going to be back. But once again, you're stretching this squad, aren't you? And although we're supposed to have one of the best squads in the Premier League, and on paper, I suppose we have, when you see the team diminished in quality, it does look a little bit vulnerable. So there's the fact that these Champions League games come so quick now, does that concern you or do you just take it as red that City will get through the Champions League group stage and get to the knockout phase again?
3: It doesn't concern me. It, it would have concerned me if we'd have got a more difficult draw. You know, If we'd have got a really strong team out of pot one, because obviously we were in pot two. But considering we got Porto out of that, which is probably the, the most favourable pick that we could have got, then that's just made me, again, is, is it a bit arrogant for me to say, but you'd like to think that you breeze through that group, top of the group for me. So I'm not that concerned. Um, I think it could be a real godsend because obviously if you had to have played a, a PSG or a Bayern Munich, then that would have been really difficult because you played them twice, that's two big games because you want to finish top of your group so you get a more favourable round 16 tie. So I'm not that concerned about it. I can understand why some people might be because a fixture is still a fixture. But I think with the ease, hopefully, of, of those games, I'm hoping that we'll be able to sort of get through them and it'll mean that we can concentrate on the Premier League.
0: You're only looking at it you from a what? journey point of view, Paul, are you? <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, at least I don't have to listen to your rubbish music, again. so it's been a bit of a bonus, really. The uh, the What was it, the Lion King and Abba? We've, we've <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Lion King in ABBA. You
2: know what? <laughs> you know what? The, wor- the worrying thing is, he's probably got a- Amanda Holden's greatest hits.
0: <laughs> That's where I draw the line. That's where I draw the line. Whoa, whoa, whoa,
1: Paul! What's wrong with our in that album?
2: Listen, I saw your tweet this week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so um, we're all quite relaxed about the Champions League, are we?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I think- you know what? Just- just going back to the strikers for one quick minute. Sorry, sorry, Mike. Um, I'd love him just to just give the lap a couple of runs. You know, get getting bloodied in there, and because he's a confident kid. You know, he, he is cocky. He is the sort of player that if he played for somebody else, you won't like him. Well, he's you're got a bit surprised to play
0: against Burnley, though. I mean, having played against Bournemouth, and then he puts Cole in, and it was interesting to see another player. But Cold. Didn't, I mean, you know, I'm not having a go at the lad. I mean, obviously he's only a young kid, and and he's a, he's a big blue, and we want him to do well. But given that there was a second opportunity to play the lap so quickly afterwards, I would have much preferred to see. Delap play again. I mean, I've been watching a few under twenty-one games. I've been lucky enough as a as a journalist to be able to go to a couple of the under twenty-one games. I can't get to the, the, the first team games, but I can get to the under-twenty one. So I've seen DeLap a couple of times. I've been sat with his dad, Rory, at a game, and he's really impressed me. Now he's only seventeen, but what he's got, which is one of the things that we've discussed before on the podcast about a, maybe a lack of big character and personality and aggression. And Delap's got that in, in bucketfuls, maybe a bit too much at times for a young kid, but he's definitely got it. So I would have preferred to have seen De Lapp start and play another ninety minutes against Burnley, and then, then maybe there would have been more of a possibility of seeing him in the Premier League as well. Yeah, no. I've, I've, listen, I Listen, I'm completely with you
1: on that. I'm saying I just I can't understand why he didn't, and that just breeds confidence. The more you play, the more confident you get. So once he's played, if I was De Lapp and I played against Burnley, I think oh, I've had a great game. And then suddenly I'm on the bench and be like, "What have I done wrong?" You know, you just keep feeding that. Keep get him out there. Keep playing him again and again and again. And especially like you say, we've got no strikers. What have you got to lose? Just get him on. Get him he's on. He's a yeah,
2: he, he, and he's a big lad. We haven't got that. He's he's a recognised striker. That's what he does day in day out at training. That's his position. You know, you don't. Why Why convert somebody that isn't their position? He is a recognised striker. That's his nice. bread and butter. Let him have a go at it.
0: Now, next week on the podcast, because we'll be halfway through an international break, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to open up the discussion a lot more about the direction that, that football is going in at the moment. And I'm not just talking about behind closed doors, because that's something that, arguably is is not controllable because of, of this virus. But VAR is still a, a huge topic that people are really getting upset about. When I've asked people on social media about... You know how do you feel about football at the moment when I, whilst i 've been expecting them to come back at me and say you know without the, the, with the artificial crowd noise or watching it behind closed doors, not being able to attend you know yes i 've fallen out with the game or i 'm not as, as involved as I once was, but still VAR um, comes up with you know a, a big part of it so although we 're going to talk about this in a lot more depth next week, um, I just wonder what you three think about. Football going When we come out of this, let's try and throw ourselves forward to some time when we can all go back, etc. Uh, Mike, I'd be interested to to hear what you think on this as well. You know, when the day there might not be a one day when everybody says, that's it now, this is over. It doesn't look as if it's going to happen like that. But just imagine that it did. Just imagine that, that tomorrow, suddenly, magically, we all had a vaccine. Everybody took it. It's 100% successful. And you can go and see your mum and kiss her and cuddle her and go to the shops and not wear masks. Everything's back to normal. Do you think football fans, after this long gap from the game, watching it on TV and getting used to watching it on TV, and VAR, as it's continued to gather momentum, is going to put people off, or do you think everybody will just go back and it'll be like like it was?
1: I think we've got to accept it's here. We have to accept it's here. But what we also want to do is make sure that it's done right. It's, it's right in rugby. I used to cover the, um, the Magic Weekend in Newcastle, and they used VAR, and there was never a problem. They got it right, it was brilliant. I think the problem with VAR is... It's the people are, are, have set it up. They just I watched the game the other week with uh, Spurs with the handball. They looked at the VAR handball. Never a, never a handball, you know. Half of me likes VAR. The other half thinks it's just killed the game. It's one of those, isn't it? He, he, I can see it's pluses. I think, yeah, brilliant, you know. The other side of me thinks, we didn't have it in the 70s, didn't have it in the 80s, didn't have it in the 90s, and everybody just got on with it. We moaned about the decision. We moaned about the referees. We had to accept it, and we got on with it. Suddenly, technology has come into the game, and it has slowed it down and it's made it more critical, the games, you know. Um, I just, I've got a leg in each camp, if I'm really honest. I've got a foot in each camp, if I'm
0: really honest. What do you two I, think? Do you think people just, you know, go back to football as before once this is all over?
3: I, I think I think they will. Um, I, I don't see why they shouldn't do. For me, VAR thinks worked really well uh, this season. The handball rule, even though... That was introduced because VAR highlighted the issue in the rule. There's no problem with VAR, there's a problem with the law. The the law is wrong and needs changing. VAR was brought in to help referees to to make a better opinion, to form a better opinion. It's not, nothing is red or black. There's things that are, are not red or black in games. Some things are out and in. Some things are opinionated. And we need to give the referees an ability to make their opinion better and more informed, a more informed choice. And that's what they're doing by going over to the monitor at the moment. And the minute we've changed the rules to try and make handball red or black, it's not. It's a referee's interpretation. That's what, that's that's the referee's opinion. So we need to revert the rule back to how it was before VAR and just allow the referee to go over and see, in his view, does he think that's handball or not? So there's no issue with VAR at the moment. It's an issue with the laws of the game. that we, We've tried to, we try to make things too too black or white when some things just simply aren't. But VAR doesn't not not everything needs to be black and white for VAR to work. It just needs to provide an opportunity for the referee to make a decision, and that's what has been happening so far this season, bar the handball rule. We're seeing the referee going over to the screen. It's brilliant. I don't like the way it works in Woodby. I don't like seeing a man, you know, in the in a box in a corner making decisions. That's not for me. A referee's in the centre of the park. He makes the decisions. If it means he needs to go over to the side of the pitch and make that decision, so be it. Take two, three minutes, don't care. If it if that's the best opinion that the referee can make, and that's his his decision, not someone in Stockley Park, then that's fine with me. Absolutely no problems. There are some black and white things that can be, you know, ruled by the AR. That's brilliant. But some things need to be by an opinion of a referee. And that that's being sorted for me in terms of the referee going over. So I'm happy.
0: Everything you've said makes perfect sense, Adam. I'm not going to argue with a single thing you've said. But the one thing that's the essence of this is I see so many people from all sorts of football clubs saying VAR has ruined football for me. It's took the spontaneity out of the game. And obviously the best example I can possibly give was the handball in the Spurs Champions League game when I jumped out of the press box ran to my wife and son who weren't sat too far away from me. We went into a big group hug and it was one of the best feelings ever because I thought City were going to be through in that game. And it wasn't until we'd done the big group hug and I'd gone back to my seat in the press box that then the AR came up on the screen and sucked all the energy out of the stadium. Now, whatever the rights and wrongs are of the decision, and that's not the debate I want to get into it at this moment, it isn't whether that decision was right or wrong. It's not It's not even purely about the speed of the decision, but the mere fact that in the old days, this is how it was, whether it was right or wrong, the referee made an instant decision. The crowd had an instant decision to know that that had been made. So we would have known that wasn't a goal right from the moment that the linesman put his flag up or, or the referee went, no, straight away and all that wouldn't have happened and that is the message I'm getting strongly from fans is that's what's driving them crazy about VAR, not the wrongs and rights, not the minutiae but yes. just sucking the emotion out of the game.
3: I think it brings more emotion personally, I felt on top of the world when that top and goal went in and then I came crashing down to when it's later, I don't think I've ever had such a rollercoaster of emotions So actually emotionally, I think I've had more emotion with VAR than I've had without it personally. So I think entertainment-wise, it's right up there. Sometimes it goes for you, sometimes it doesn't. That's just the Adam, way football is. It's emotional. Adam,
2: can I just say this? How old are
3: you? Oh, don't give me the age thing. I'm 22. Go on.
2: No, no, no. I'm just, it's, not, it's not that. When you get to our age, mate, you don't need ups and downs in your life like that. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you, know, you know when you jump in a swimming pool and it, it, you can have an heart attack? That's what it's a similar effect to us. Well, that Tottenham one with Ian, with, with, with that Ian, uh, was just saying about the Tottenham. Me and my mate Jonah dived forward about three rows. We, we we're right next to the away fans in the uh, on the uh, on, on the right hand side. Edison um, came over. Didn't we, dived three, yeah, we dived. Yep, yeah, we dived three rows was forward. There, yeah, there was a big pylon. Yeah, there There's about eight people on top of us. We were giving it the big large to the Tottenham fans. They all got up and walked off. Then all of a sudden, we're on the floor, getting up off the floor, couldn't breathe, and Tottenham fans were stood laughing at us because the decision had gone against us. That would not have happened without VAR. No, no, it wouldn't. The, but that's not okay. <laughs> but it's not. It's not okay at my age. You can't, I can't cope with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Listen, my lads younger than that. My lads younger than that. And when they, it, we were jumping and jumping and jumping. And as soon as the VAR decision. I Had to drive back to London with him in the car, crying. And I'm not lying when I say this, he's what 12? My carter is he was still crying all yeah. the way back, all the way back. And that was, and he hates VAR, right? He absolutely hates it. So I didn't, he's younger than you, so don't worry about the age, <laughs> mate. He's younger than you. He cannot stand it. Uh, you know what? It is, if it goes, if it was, if it goes for you, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it doesn't, you're like, ah. Uh, you know what, it's just one of those things that we've just got to accept now, that it's in the game, and we've just got to, you know what, we're we're just, I'm 51, the same as you, we've just got to accept it, it's modern technology, it's here to stay, it's never going to go away, it's not going to go away, and we just have to accept it and get on with it. It's
2: going to be an interesting debate next
0: week, isn't it?
1: (laughs) It's a brilliant debate, Ian.
2: Changing the rules halfway through the season is my big thing, this handball. You can't, you sign up, you sign a contract at the beginning of the season to say, "We you know we're going to abide by these rules and laws." Then some of the teams, you know, were three games, four games in, for some, you sign up to this handball thing, and and then it's all, it all all goes against you. But it's great if it goes for you. But then then three weeks later they change it, so we would have had penalties yesterday, the week before, or the you know on midweek game. You can't you can't change the rules. You can't move the goalpost, pardon my expression. Half, nope. You know, three games into the season. But then you they look at the change.
1: then you look at the Tottenham game with United, and you watch, um because they've got so many divers. The Bruno, uh, the midfielder, who dived, and they got a penalty, and then they didn't get it. So in respect, it didn't work. Math. Yeah, <laughs> it worked in that respect. You know, it it, it him not it caught him out diving, and that's another thing you should discuss. In is the diving. Because that's just
0: getting ridiculous now. That's to come next week. That's to come next week. Um, That's it for this week's podcast. Um, Just want to once again thank you, thank Charles Louis, uh, who are independent financial advisors, as well as being mortgage advisors. They have a campaign going at the moment for income protection. So when it comes to paying the bills... It's a question of priorities, isn't it? Charles Louis is special advisers on income protection, critical illness and life insurance, which are very relevant right now. So have a look at their website, charleslouis.co.uk. Give them a call. And if you want equity from from your property or you're worried about insurance or losing your job or whatever, give them a call. Uh, Ask for Dave. Mention my name. Mike McLean, thank you very much for being a special guest on this podcast. Oh, thanks, so, to Paul, man. and to Adam as usual. Um, we'll do another podcast next week, uh, which will be recorded on Sunday evening. There's no football, certainly from a city perspective, between now and then. And we will talk about VAR. We'll talk about the direction football generally is going in. Um, when you'll be comfortable going back to football, all that sort of thing, um, which is, I think, subjects that have to be discussed at the moment as we continue on in these uncertain times Um, but always uh, best of health to the three of you to everybody who's listening and uh, win lose or draw and this week it was a draw it's still great being a blue isn't it